It's Friday. We've made it. I said this earlier in the week. This has been a really long week. All of all of the weeks prior to, I, I don't know how or where the, the time goes, but not this week. This week has been crawling so slow. I know you don't care about the pace of my week, but I just want you to know that it is Friday and we have made it. For that, for us, that means it's football day. Tonight is the last regular season football game for our youngest son. You guys, we are we are like time is ticking down. This is this is the last kid in sports and we've made it. We have made it. <laughs> we have till we have till March. So like yeah, we've got some time to go. But um, so we're almost through with football season and then it'll be on to basketball season, which I love so much more. Listen, it's me, your sister-in-law. <laughs> I was like, how on earth? <laughs> it's actually OK. So Carol Peters is actually my mother-in-law. And it seems that my sister-in-law, Robin, has hijacked her Facebook account, which is never used. <laughs> But this is fun. Welcome, welcome. Hello, Chris, Lisa, Vince, John. I love it that John is just just greeting me in this moment and and not everyone else. That's adorable. Um, okay, you guys, let's just jump right in. Enough of my small, aimless, pointless talk. Let's go to Psalm 11. Psalm 11 is is known to be connected to um first samuel 18 and um we're going to go and read that in a second but i just kind of want to remind you of what first samuel 18 is about this is where saul is um has david working in his courts to um to soothe him from his tormenting spirit and and also is trying to kill David. So he's using him in, in two different ways. And um, and and Psalm 11 is, is said to be something that David wrote during that time. So let's just read it. Psalm 11. In Jehovah have I taken refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee to the mountains like a bird? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They ready their arrow on the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. When the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous man do? Jehovah is in his holy temple. Jehovah, his throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the sons of men. Jehovah tries the righteous man, but the wicked man and him who loves violence, his soul hates. He will rain down snares upon the wicked. Fire and brimstone and a scorching wind will be the portion of their cup. For Jehovah is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright man will behold his face. Now, if this is something that David wrote in the midst of opposition, we have a lot to learn from it. Oh my gosh, it's just a full on day, isn't it? Now my mom's on. <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> um or in Psalm 11, if you're following along. Um, so what David is saying here, when he, in the very beginning, is, in Jehovah have I taken refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee to the mountain like a bird? He's, he's, he's receiving um, counsel to run. Here he is in the midst of opposition, and, and everyone is telling David, you go like you need to run and hide you know save your life in in this this space of opposition and and for you and I our opposition always tends to be more like a um a spiritual battle we don't have spears being um thrown at us if you do can you let us know in the comments like that that you have spears literally like coming after you because that's actually David's reality when he's writing this psalm. Now, you and I struggle with staying when we have spiritual spears coming at our lives. And David has 
physical spears <laughs> coming for him and and he is he is going against the counsel given to him that's saying flee go run you know save save yourself and i love it that he he throws out there that jehovah this is verse 4 jehovah is in his holy temple Jehovah, his throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the sons of men. Jehovah tries the righteous man. What is he saying? What is David getting at here? David knows where the Lord is. David knows that he has the power of praise on his lips and can exalt the Lord at any moment in the midst of opposition. And he is all authority in that space. David could have, he could have fled the situation. He could have taken off running, but he didn't because he knows the heart of the Lord. He knows that that God's intention for our life is is that, that we learn how to work within the kingdom realm, that we learn Jesus. We all know the prayer. We all know the Lord's prayer right? My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's our job to pull down the reality or open up the reality of the kingdom realm for all to experience. And we do that by acknowledging where it is that the Lord's throne is. And we all know that he enthrones himself on the praises of his people. So David acknowledging the Lord in this space, in this space of opposition, is high praise. It's high praise. It's counted to him as righteousness that he stops for a quick survey of where the Lord is at. And he chooses to say, well, let's jump over and let's read. Let's read what's going on. In 1 Samuel 18, we're just going to start in verse 1. And there's a lot going on here. And we'll just kind of unravel it as we go. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan became knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him like his own soul. We could, we could stop there and do an entire teaching on, on this first section of the what is transpiring between David and Jonathan. And you've got to remember that Jonathan is Saul's son. And, and, and these two are bonded like brothers. It, it, Jonathan loved David like he loved his own soul. Wow. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. This is David. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him like his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him. And he gave it to David as well as his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. This is is a huge moment huge moment. And I want you to remember like David's first victory. What happens? He's headed out to fight Goliath. He's like, pick me, send me here. I am Lord, send me, right? He's just a little shepherd boy coming straight out of the fields. All he knows to do is praise and take care of the sheep. This is what David and kill lions and bears, whatever, but um, he comes out and he's, he's ready. You know, if you kind of think of an amped up teenage boy, that's just like, I got this, you know, like pounding on his chest or whatever. And, and he comes out with, with rocks in a slingshot and Saul's knee jerk reaction is, whoa, like take my armor. And he starts dressing him up in his armor and we know the outcome of that, that it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for David to be dressed up in Saul's armor. But now Jonathan, who loves David like he loves his own soul, is offering him not just his armor, but his inheritance. 
Jonathan's proving what love actually looks like. Now, I want you to remember <clears throat> that David is from the tribe of Judah, and we know that Judah means praise. And this is a lofty expression of praise that's transpiring here because Jonathan is moved by the praise that is on David's life and learns to lay down his own life, which is the essence of praise, to lay down his own life on behalf of another. He gives up his royalty and clothes David in it. When he's saying he took off his robe, that's his royalty. That's his inheritance. He's taking off his inheritance and putting it on David. And he doesn't stop short there. He also takes off everything that he's armed with and he gives it to David. I don't know if that moves you, but that moves me. Yeah. And Marie's servanthood for sure. Um. So he, he does, he, he strips himself. His robe, his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And David went forth. On every mission that Saul sent him, he acted prudently. Therefore Saul set him over the men of battle. And it was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. But when the men came home, as David returned from striking the Philistines, the women came out of, of all the towns of Israel, singing and dancing to meet Saul the king with tambourines and joyful songs and stringed instruments. And the women sang to one another as they played, and they said, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul became very angry. For this displeased him. And he said, they ascribe 10,000s to David, but to me, they ascribe only thousands. And what more can he have except the whole kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day on. Again, I want to point us to what's taking place here. When, when you put on Praise, when praise becomes your weapon, you draw praise. It becomes everything that surrounds you. When you exude praise, you draw praise. So David goes out to battle with Saul, and he's not trying to outdo Saul, right? He's empowered with not only praise, but now he's empowered with inheritance and warrior garments. Could he have done what he did without what Jonathan had done? I don't know. We can't answer that. But it certainly had to have helped that one man would lay down his life for another and exalt his purpose above his own. Because this, is, this isn't just brotherhood. This is discipleship. Jonathan acknowledged the call on David's life and gave himself to it. Our discipleship today does not look like this. And we'll get into that in a minute. So we have here a very angry king. Very angry. Because David has outdone him on the battlefield. And the people. It says every town. The women came out from every town. <laughs> and they're all singing the song. That David has outdone Saul. Now. We all in our humanity can can side with with Saul on this point. We would we would have all been angry and jealous and been like, ah, you're not even acknowledging what I've done. But they did. They did acknowledge what he had done. They're just acknowledging the call on David's life. He is a warrior king priest. And that just happens to be the call on our life, too. Because that's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. Kings and priests. But we cannot miss the part where kings go to war. Right? It's our job. Verse 10. Then on the next day, an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul. And he prophesied in the midst of the house while David played the lyre by hand as he had 
as he had done day by day. And the spear was in Saul's hand. Okay. I'm going to read it again because this is really interesting. Then on the next, the very next day, be careful how you posture yourself. Because I don't know that this would have transpired if Saul wouldn't have erupted in jealousy. You know, then on the next day, an evil spirit from God rushed Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house while David played as he had done day by day. And the spear was in Saul's hand. He's prophesying. Interesting. Then Saul threw the spear for he said, I will strike David even to the wall. But David fled from him twice. So he's, you know, this is like a game of not dodgeball, but dodge spear. And, and, and David somehow comes away unharmed. And Saul became afraid of David for Jehovah was with him and had departed from Saul. So there's so much going on in this one chapter. We start off with, with Jonathan acknowledging who it is, who David is. And, and he's, I, I love you. Like I love my own soul strips himself of everything. You guys, I don't think that we understand the, the sacrifice that's going on here because Saul is supposed to inherit the throne, but he sees what God sees in David. And he gives up everything. He strips himself, strips himself of what is his, and he gives it to David. And now Saul is realizing David has the favor of the Lord on his life. God God has surely left me and has fallen on David. And the only thing that Saul is left with is a tormenting spirit. Wild. All right, where are we? Okay, so Saul's now afraid of David. Verse 13, so Saul removed him from being with him and made him the captain captain of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David acted prudently in all his campaigns and Jehovah was with him. And when Saul saw that he acted very prudently, he stood in awe of him. Interesting. And all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. And Saul said to David, See, my oldest daughter, Merib, I will give to you as wife. Only be valiant for me and fight Jehovah's battles. For Saul said, Let not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. I'll stop trying to kill him, (laughs) but give him to the Philistines to kill. And David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my life for my father's family in Israel that I should be a son-in-law of the king? But at the time when Merib, the daughter of Saul, was to be given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Mahoathite, as wife. Now, Michael, the son, or Michal, however you want to pronounce her name, the daughter of Saul loved David, and it was told Saul, and the matter pleased him. And Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be upon him. Therefore, Saul said to David, For the second time, you may be my son-in-law today. Then Saul commanded his servants, speak to David privately, saying, see, the king is pleased with you and all his servants love you. So now become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke these words in David's ear. And David said, it is such a light thing in your sight for me to become a son-in-law to the king since I am a poor man and lightly esteemed. And Saul's servants told him, saying, This is what David said. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king has no desire for a dowry before a hundred Philistine foreskins, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. 
for Saul planned to have David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So David's like, he knows, he knows what a king deserves and he knows what the daughter of a king is worth. And he's like, I, I'm a poor man. I, I, look, look at my family line. I come from nothing. And so Saul plays the game. He's like, oh, I don't need a dowry from you. What I need is a bunch of dead Philistines and evidence of it. <laughs> we won't get into that, but weird. Isn't that weird? That's weird. <laughs> okay, so when the, his servants told David these things, David was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. And when the time had not yet expired, David rose up and went, he and his men, and he struck down 2,000 Philistine men and David brought their foreskins and they gave them in full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, as wife. And Saul saw and knew that Jehovah was surely with David. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, loved him. And Saul was even more afraid of David. And Saul was David's enemy from then on. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and as often as they went forth, David succeeded more than all the servants of Saul. So his name was very highly esteemed, which is basically to say that the chants, the songs, the dance of all of the women that came out from the cities the first time they went into battle just grew exponentially. The praise of David was known throughout the lands at this point. Shoot, you probably even had the Philistine women coming out and singing the song occasionally. You know what I'm saying? It, it, like they had to have been in awe of what this man was capable of accomplishing. Here are some things that I want us to, to gain from, from this. <clears throat> First of all, David was invited to flee. David was invited to run, hide, save your life. David stayed because he knew where the Lord was enthroned. Do you know where the Lord is enthroned? I read a quote and I can't tell you right off who the, the quoter is because I didn't write that down, but this is what it said. If God is in the fight with us, it would be foolish to question the result or attempt to avoid that conflict. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah and he has come to win. I'm going to read it again. If God is in the fight with us, it would be foolish to question the result or attempt to avoid that conflict. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah, and he has come to win. Come on. Can I get, can I get the, the hands raised emoji? Why are we trying to avoid conflicts that, 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 that Christ himself has enthroned himself upon? He has so set us up. All we do is acknowledge that he's there. David did not go alone into battle. David was so set up. Think about the story that we just read. He's so set up. He has the, the royal garments put on him. He has warrior garments put on him. And he is given the mightiest men that are available. And now... He's not just clothed in the inheritance of a prince, but he's also married to the king's daughter. This is like double portion. This is double portion kind of stuff because he was willing to stay in the conflict that he knew that God was in. How many times do you and I run from the conflict because we allow our flesh to do all the talking. David allows God to set him up because he sees. He sees the possibility. He doesn't, he doesn't take in all the fear. He has a, a greater position under the fear of the Lord than he does the fear of man. Where are your feet positioned? What is surrounding you? What's influencing you? Is it the fear of the Lord that's spurring you on? Or is it the fear of man that's spurring you on? 
If we can't answer this question, we're in danger. We're in danger because here's the deal. You were made to conquer your foes. And whether you run now or you face them now matters not because the foe's going to be there waiting for you when you come out of hiding because it's yours to conquer. This is your conflict, yours to prove the victory of Christ over. And how much more are we set up, you guys? How much more are we set up because the victory has already manifested on the earth? Jesus has already finished the battle. The war has already been won. He did it all. Ours to step into. Our job, and I'm going to say this forever until I know we've got it. Our job is to take his proclamation and his act of sacrifice and put it on display. We put his victory on display. We enter in to the conflict to put the the victory of the cross on display. Yes, it has been finished. No, you are not excused. (laughs) Can I say that again? Yes, it has been finished. And no, you are not excused. Enter in, but do so with the power of the Lord inhabiting you. You are more than a conqueror. So in the same way that David was robed in inheritance and dressed for battle and betrothed, so are you and I. We just have to learn to stay in the conflict. Okay, let's look at, I want to look at the discipleship piece in here because this is huge. And and I'm afraid we've made a mess of this. So again, David could have actually entered into false humility and been like, no, no, Jonathan, I am not worthy of your royal robes. No, Jonathan, your armor won't fit me. And this is what we do. We deny the the discipleship that's sitting right, the, the clothing of discipleship that's right before us. And we need to stop doing that. David could have, David could have run. He could have run and he would have missed out on a really important lesson of being someone who can lift up the name of the Lord in the midst of conflict. This is very much a part of discipleship. Allowing God to hold our little toes to the fire. And David could have certainly been like, no, I I don't deserve your daughter. And he could have been like, oh, I'm not actually fit for battle. He He could have turned his back on all of that. But we see him doing the opposite. He, he, he allows all of these things to, to, to come on him and he works within the favor of the Lord and he allows himself to be discipled by the favor of the Lord, by the, the praise that's on his life. And then he goes further and he becomes, he, he enters into a fathering role where he's raising up warriors Guys, we don't have the full story of what happened, but look what happens. Look at the end result. He takes he takes men out to war and and the king thinks it's an impossibility. 
The king thinks it's an impossibility. But because David was a man who was willing to stand in the midst of conflict because he saw the Lord rise above it, he knew how to lead others. He wasn't someone that was like, I actually don't have time for this. I need to stay focused. I don't have time to, to pull you into to all of this, which I'm afraid is what we've done as the church, especially in North America. I don't know what it's like in other, in other areas, but here I know what it's like. But we're like, no, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to serve the Lord. I just, just got to focus. I'm just trying. I don't, I don't have time. I don't have time to take you into battle with me. It's not what David did. He had already experienced someone laying their life down for him. And he immediately turns around and does the same thing and leads men into battle with him. This is how it's done. Watch, learn. Come along. Surround me. Let's do this together. He brings them along. It is. It's it's an it, it's a, a remarkable example of courage. Because how many of us would have been like, no, no, it's it's I got this. I got this. Me and Jesus is how I do it. Most of us are more familiar with isolation than we are discipleship. dangerous. And this is what we've set up. And this is what we call church life. This is what we call community. This is what we call tribe. I know. Ouch for sure. Ouch for sure. Um, <clears throat> I want to read something to you that, uh, that I just, I jotted down just prior to hopping on here. Does God ever show you things and and he's like expecting you to deliver it in a moment's notice? <laughs> and, and you're just like, well, let me like capture that really quick. <laughs> so this is this is Angie's best effort at at capturing what it is that <clears throat> that that God was showing me. And I'm just gonna read what I wrote, okay. I saw the road of discipleship, a space overgrown mirroring a ghost town. Moloch, fat on the de death of destiny. Lost cries haunting this intersection. The withheld rod and staff is the testimonial mulch of self-love, propping up individ individualism disguised in the trends of the man of God. Looking behind, it's not the varied faces of offspring, it's pride's transformation laid out as paper doll cutouts. Rubbish for a fire. I'm going to read it again. Actually, let me do this. I can make this really easy for us so you can read along. Thanks for your patience. There you go. You're welcome. Okay, I'm going to read it again. I saw the road of discipleship, a space overgrown, mirroring a ghost town. Moloch, fat on the death of destiny. Lost cries haunt this intersection. The withheld rotten staff is the testimonial mulch of self-love, propping up individualism disguised in the trends of the man of God. Looking behind, it's not the varied faces of offspring. It's pride's transformation laid out as paper doll cutouts. And so let me let me break this down for you, um, it, just in case we don't completely understand. Um, there is a road of discipleship, and, and it is actually, it belongs to the church. But there is a principality that, um, that we have handed our road over to because we have been more interested in propping ourselves up and therefore the principality had every right to bring in an idol God, which is Moloch. And Moloch, if you do not know the history of Moloch, Moloch is a God that 
the, the people who served him fed their children to. And so this is a very powerful picture of what it is that we've actually done. We have, instead of doing what David did and say, you know what, just come along. I know that God has empowered me to do this. And therefore the empowerment that's on me is now on you. Just stay with me. We will go out and we will fulfill the desires of the king and we'll bring back what he's asked for, even though that's disgusting. They still did it. The victory was theirs because of the spirit of discipleship that David knew full well. He's already had somebody lay his life down for him and dressed him in his own garments and said, I love you like I love my own soul. And now David has learned how to love a whole company of men like he loves his own soul. But this is not what we've done in our Western culture. We have entered into a space where we're trying to make our own way and create our own thrones. We're propping our own self up and making much of, oh, look at me. And that there's, there is, there is this, you can, you guys, I, I have to battle this on a, can I just be really honest? Can I be raw with you? On a regular basis, I have to battle this, these, these whispers that, that are suggesting that, that I withhold where I'm getting my information, prop yourself up, you know, you know, appear in a certain way. And, and these are things, these are battles that we have run from that we haven't stayed in. It's conflict that we haven't stayed in and we've run from. We've, we've done the opposite of what David did when, when the council was run. He stayed. When we're trying to, 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 to run from these things, we're creating a mess for those behind us. What does it look like for me to stay in this conflict? Don't withhold, Angie. Move in the opposite spirit, Angie. I, I hope you know what I'm talking about. Because I, I, if you're in any kind of leadership position, I know you struggle with this because it's not just me. I know that these are things that you come up against where you you have um, invitations or proposals, if you will, to, to elevate yourself rather than what it is that God is wanting. This is where we crucify our flesh. This is where we say no to those things and we move in the opposite spirit, which means I want to let you in on, on where I get my information, what it's like to be me. What are my sources? And so what, what I'm sourced right now by is I, I've, I've been in the Psalms a lot. If you've been listening to me at all, you know, I've been in the Psalms a lot. And one of my sources is the, um, is um, Spurgeon's um, collection that he calls the treasury of David. And, and Vince, if you want to throw that in the chat, you guys, this is a wealth of information a wealth of information. And um, and Spurgeon gives a breakdown on all of David's Psalms. It's, it's, an, it's an incredible resource. But the temptation so often for people who are in spaces of leadership is that they just want to appear to have all this knowledge magically. And that is just foolish. That's foolish foolish. Everything that we do should have the compliments of discipleship on it. Thank you, Spurgeon, for making this wealth of information available to us. Thank you for all all of the people that have gone before us that just lay out the the information that they have and you know we're so we're we're so like consumed with like oh well, I want this to have like my name attached to it so I'm going to withhold this information and 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 compile it in something that I'm going to charge $25 for later only 25 years from then we're going to realize that the majority of it was rubbish and really didn't need to be put in a book We're supposed to be moving from glory to glory, which means I don't withhold the intel that Holy Spirit leads me to. I release it for you to have for this moment, because if I hold on to it and I wait until the project's done, it's probably fruitless at that point. 
when we're in the conflict, when we stay in the conflict, there's so much revelation to be gained in those moments. We have the information that we're talking about today because one man chose to stay in the conflict. We're able to pull all of this revelation because one man chose to stay in the conflict and not run. He chose you and I instead of his own life. It's the reality. Are you doing the same? Are you choosing those behind you? We should be looking back and not seeing the paper doll cutouts of self, of the the, the various trends of self. We should see a whole army behind us of people who are eager to lay their lives down. And there are two things that must happen. We must learn to value those behind us more than we value ourselves and admit, I do have time for them. Is it going to feel like an inconvenience? Yes, because the only thing you've been interested in is discipling yourself. The only thing you've been interested in is carving self out. So yes, it's going to feel like an inconvenience. You're not going to actually enjoy the first probably several months of discipling another because they're going to be in your space and they're going to be an inconvenience. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be needy. They're going to be pulling on you at every corner. But it is the way. And we need to take back this road of discipleship. It it should actually infuriate us that there is a a principality over the road of discipleship and a, a, a false God has been set up right in the middle of this road that is fat with the sons and daughters of destiny because we have preferred to feed Moloch, our children, our offspring, rather than actually do the work to disciple them than to grow them up. And the part about the the wood chips being the rod and the staff, come on, you guys. It's time to grow up. It's time for us to grow up. We have an entire generation that desperately needs mothers and fathers, and we have got to stop thinking about ourselves. We need to start thinking about them. Second part to discipleship. Why aren't you hungry? No, seriously. Why aren't you hungry? Why aren't you knocking somebody's door down? Who's discipling you? And this is going to, this is going to come across really strong, but who has the right to strike you? We're babies, big babies. Uh, He wounded me with his words. We desperately need discipleship to be brought back into the church. Desperate. We need to be desperate to have the true essence of discipleship brought back into the church. We should be knocking down somebody's door, asking them to disciple us, which means we also need to be prepared for that. Don't just go looking for the handout. Who are you discipling? It's both ways. Reach up, reach back. We need to repent. Do. We need we need to stand in the gap, own the guilt 
of messing this up and obliterate Moloch. This is our road. Let's take it back. Father, right now we just come before you and we're so thankful, God. Come on, let's enter in the gates. We're going to do this whole process really quick. Let's enter into his gates with thanksgiving. We're so thankful for the process. We're so thankful for the transitional life that you've invited us into, that you refer to as discipleship. We're so thankful, God, that you call us to lay our lives down. We're so thankful, God, that it costs us everything, but we gain all. Jesus, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for this life that you've called us to, to be a living sacrifice, a living epistle for those to read that are surrounding us. God, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for your spirit that has been dropped in us like a beautiful engagement ring. God, we're so thankful for the dowry of the spiritual gifts that you have given us. Come on. Are you releasing Thanksgiving right now? Release Thanksgiving. Come on. We need to get into the courts of praise. Release Thanksgiving. Tell them how thankful you are right now. Don't you dare just sit there listening. Release some Thanksgiving. Come on, be discipled. Release your Thanksgiving right now. What are you thankful for? We need to get into the courts of praise. Come on, hurry up. Let's go. Ah, you are the highly exalted one, Jesus. You're the highly exalted one, Jesus. Your name above every name. Your name above this name, Moloch. Your name above dissatisfaction. Your name above self-promotion. Your name above every lofty desire. It's your name, your name, high and lifted up, high and lifted up. Come on, we're, we're in the courts of praise. Come on, release your praise. Release your praise. You are the all-sufficient one, Jesus. You're the all-sufficient one. The only one found worthy. Tell him, tell him he's the only one found worthy. Jesus, you're the only one found worthy. And we praise your name. We lift your name high right now. And we are so thankful, God, that you've called us into to another conflict, that we've come up against this God, Moloch, God, and, and you, you've called us to obliterate it. And we're thankful for it. And right now we praise your name above the name of Moloch. And we praise your name above the destruction that has been done. And God, right now we come before you and we say, God, we are guilty. We are guilty as charged. That we have done wrong on this road of discipleship, that we have we have walked this road in vain and we have been about ourselves and we have wanted to prop ourselves up and we've laid down the rod and the staff that you have put in our hands. And right now we pick it back up. And we thank you for the inheritance that's on our back. You robe us in righteousness and our currency is inheritance. And right now, I thank you that you have proven me capable and able to disciple others, that you have raised me up to reach up and to reach back. And I will not flee in the midst of conflict. I will stand and I will show those surrounding me how to enter in and stand to lift your name on high. So right now, if you're someone who's committing to learning this road of discipleship, I just want you to commit, commit in the comments. I'm in. I'm in. I, I'm going to be one who reaches up and reaches back. Come on, whose door are you knocking down? Who has the right to strike you? We need to be all in on this. 
guys, we are, we are living in the best of times, the best of we have, we have the greater glory being released right now. The new wine, ours to drink, ours to release. We can go farther, faster than anyone that's come before us. But we need to do so diligently. We need to understand the narrow road. We're on a narrow road. Who's beside you? Who's behind you? Who's before you? What level of influence are you allowing them? I, I want to press the issue because I think that we still have, I can feel it. I can feel it in our mind. Yeah, yeah, I want to knock down someone's door so they can tell me how great I am. No, you need someone to tell you how great you're not. You need someone in your life that will lead you to the altar over and over and over and over again. Who's going to challenge you? It's simple. Yes, that's me. I want someone to tell me how great I am. God will tell you how great you are all day long. Read your Bible. You are great. I'm not trying to diminish you. You are great. It's true. But it doesn't matter how many times you're told it if you refuse to believe it. You need somebody to come alongside you to help you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Reach up and reach back. I love you, friends.